What's up, everybody? I'm Brett L. Pape, and I'm with Coach Bruce, and this is week five of the Coach Approach. Coach, how you doing, brother? Looks like you're in a hotel again. Where are you at? I am. I'm in the Inland Empire here in Southern Cal. So I've got uh, long days this week, going out and entertaining customers and trying to trying to sell all the freight that I can. But here we are, man. So well, never, never are. try not to ever miss time with you, brother. There you go. I appreciate it. The the irony is now that we're only about 20 miles away from each other. Of course, if uh, I were to try or you were to try to drive it, it would take us two hours. But uh, that's L.A. traffic. Uh, Let's get right into it, Coach. And before we get into this week's injuries, like we always start, I just kind of wanted everybody to know, hey, if you got questions, we'd love to take them. Any start, sit, any trade type of questions, send them in. You can always ask questions on our Twitter page. It's the coach at the coach approach FF. Um, you know, we, we, we love uh, interacting with you guys and we'd love to uh, do that all show long. If that's, if that's what it took. So injuries from week four um, every week, it, it seems to happen. And I don't know why anyone should be surprised when you look at the athletic ability, the speed and the size of these guys and just, it, it's a brutal sport. So last week was no different. Let's start right off with the Miami uh, situation at quarterback. Uh, a week after he got beat up, um, last week he gets beat up again up at Bengals. Uh, Tua is out. He's in concussion protocol, and they've already knocked him out for this week. So uh, your thoughts on the offense going forward and, and how you think it will look for the receivers and the rest of the guys in that Miami offense? You know, I did a big write-up on Teddy Bridgewater going in last year with Denver and, of course, what he did with Carolina the year prior. And Teddy Bridgewater's always been a very good game manager, He's not going to throw for a ton of yards. He's not going to throw for a ton of touchdowns. He's typically going to protect the football. He's got 72 career touchdowns versus just 44 interceptions. Now, two-to-one ratio is not great, but he protects the football a little bit. Not not quite as bad as Drew Locke and some other quarterbacks we've seen come through Denver and Carolina. But um, if you, he's never had receivers like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Two guys, sub four four guys. He catch any route in the route tree and turn it into a, a, a home run, turn it into a, a big play. So. It's going to be interesting. I think the scheme this week with Mike McDaniel is going to be the, the run game is not great, although they brought in Raheem Mostert. He seemed to have improved. He's getting more snap share. He seems to be the guy taking the lead there versus Chase Edmonds. But I, I look for them to condense the offense a little bit for Teddy Bridgewater, try to get the ball out of his hands quickly, use that short to intermediate, maybe some screen game, and get Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle getting you, even if it's you know four to five yards, on a screenplay that gets you in the second short, gets you in a manageable situation on the second third down. I think that's what, what Teddy B does well. Um, the two is situation. Uh, I've been that guy as a receiver. I remember taking taking the screen, a middle screen, and getting just absolutely ear hole by a, by, a, by a linebacker. And I woke up on the bench. I had no idea what was going on. Back then, you know, mid to, mid to late 90s, I'm not going to age myself. When I was playing college ball, it was – you know, you could go back in the game. You know, someone checked you out. If you could do the alphabet backwards, you could tell them where you were at and what city you were in and what was going on. You could find your way back out on the field. But a um, little bit different situation now with Tua. And, and, you know, hey, we can beat it up. Everybody's touched on it. I hated it. I didn't like it. It's a scary situation. I'm glad he seems to be moving forward. I'm glad they're finally taking their time to evaluate this thing correctly. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to, you know, when Tua does get back and see if he can pick up on where this offense was. I mean, Dude, they're three and one in Miami. Yeah, and, and and they've looked good being that three and one. So obviously, Very we both good. hope that 
yeah, obviously we hope that he gets back and uh, they can just kick it right off again. Uh, moving on to the injury that really kind of hurts most of the fantasy f- football community. It's another running, a young running back. They always seem, it seems to be a couple every year. It's uh, last year it was Travis Etienne, it was Cam Akers, and now we have Javante Williams. Uh, suffers an ACL injury, um, also an MCL. I mean, it seems like he everything you could do to a knee, he did to it, unfortunately. Um, he, that happened in the Raider game, a game that they lost. Uh, and it, it hasn't really been going for him too much this year, whether it be the uh, backfield share with Melvin Gordon. But it did look like he was kind of starting to take more of the lead role. But he's had 47 attempts for 204 yards for 4.3 uh, yards per carry, no touchdowns. But in the passing game, he he's gives you 16 receptions for another 76 yards. Um, tough loss, yet more ammunition for those guys who uh, – always like to kind of fade running backs early and try and pick them up later because knowing that uh, you're, you're probably going to lose a couple and they'd rather not take a chance with a high pick, but Javante Williams out for the rest of the year, torn ACL. Yeah. Huge loss for Denver. I know the run game as a whole has not looked great. I mean, you kind of went through Javante Williams numbers there. If you look at Melvin Gordon over the last two games, well, first off on the year, he's got four fumbles lost. That's a problem on 45 against 45 total touches. And you know, that, that fumble, games. I'm sorry to cut you off, but the fumble against the Raiders, it really looked like that was going to be more ammunition to just let Williams take the job and kind of go off by himself with it. But then not much later, you know. Yeah, and you saw Mike Mike Boone out touched him after that fumble. But Melvin Gordon over the last two games, 15 carries for just 34 yards, 2.2 yards a carry. He does have, and he's only got the one touchdown all season. That's that guy inside the five goal line, short yardage situations. They tend to lean on a little bit, but it's funny if you look at the waiver wires, right? It's Mike Boone versus Latavius Murray. You know, how's that going to look with if Melvin Gordon does fumble again for the fifth time this year? Who who steps in that second second role? And this week, I think it's Mike Boone because he's going to have an opportunity. Whereas Latavius Murray just got signed, he's going to have a few days to get some practice in. Obviously, Thursday night games tomorrow. Uh, don't expect to really see much there. But if you go beyond that into the following week, I think that's when you start seeing Latavius Murray probably take over early down work. And I think Mike Boone becomes more of a guy that uses the passing game. But you get ball security with both Latavius Murray, Mike Boone, who's never fumbled in the NFL on not nearly the same number of touches. And then you get, um, you know, Latavius Murray's only got, I think, you know, the last 650 touches. He hasn't lost a fumble, you know, so two guys that can secure the football. But, you know, for me, as an outside observer who doesn't have any shares of either one of those guys we're mentioning, I'm not running because you've already mentioned they've struggled to run the ball yep. this year. So why would I run to spend a lot of fab money on an offense that had a superior player struggling in it um, and replace them with inferior players? So I, I don't know about you, but I didn't pick either one of them up in my leagues. But it's just sad because that's a guy that I was really excited about that's a guy that was in a lot of people's top 10 running backs in dynasty and you just got to hope that Javante Williams comes back healthy and and is able to play next year uh, without much yeah, you know it's, it's a two-year injury for Saquon I mean you look at what Saquon's doing now and he looks great so uh you know there's still we, there isn't lost hope for good old Javante Williams moving on to next one and uh this one hurts to a lot of people uh, who had him as the wide receiver one in this rookie class, and that's Traylon Burks. Suffered a little turf toe and uh, didn't practice today. Seems to be still struggling with it. And if you know anything about the injury, 
it's one of those ones that can just kind of linger on for a while. And I don't expect him to play this week. I know uh, if he didn't practice today, that really doesn't look good for him to play. And I would be uh, I would be surprised to see him miss a couple games, not just one. Um, and you talk about Javante Williams' numbers not being what you kind of would hope. They were going to be at this point. Traylon's the same situation. Uh, in four games, he's got 10 receptions for 129 yards, and he's yet to see the end zone. But, again, I always preach be patient with rookies. And, uh, you know, if this was seven, eight, ten years ago and you had a rookie receiver with those type of stats out of four games, you'd be excited about the future. And, and let's hope uh, Trey can bounce back from his turf toe pretty quick. Yeah, you've seen Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson just completely ruin expectations for incoming rookie receivers. But Traylon Burks is a guy, you know, coming out of college, there were some concerns about his average depth of target in college and how he was utilized in some gadget plays, screen game, plays out of the backfield, um, running more shallow, shallow crossing routes. But um, I think he's got the skill set to be a guy that can that can win on slant routes. He can win in that short to intermediate. He's a guy that can can extend plays where he wants to get the ball in the hands. He's got some physical physicality to his game. But this is an opportunity for Robert Woods, you know, another guy coming off a major injury to step up. Kyle Phillips, you're now getting back and healthy. He did great in the preseason through OTAs. He was a guy that was talked about a lot to earn the earn the trust of Ryan Tannehill and Mike Grable. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what Kyle Phillips can do and, and with, with an increased opportunity now with Traylon Burks, you know, probably definitely out for certainly this game this week and, and possibly the following week. And this could be, again, a two- to three-week deal. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they do in the passing game there. Well, they haven't been able to do much. You know, I think a lot of people expected, uh, you know, a little more from Tannehill at this point. I know he was yeah. a favorite of a lot. If you drafted in Scott Fishbowl and with that scoring system that is very uh, heavy on passing percentage and, and not throwing interceptions, he was a lot of people's favorite number two quarterback on a team last couple of years because he was so consistent. But losing yeah. A.J. Brown, you can tell that it's affected uh, yeah, so it's been a rough go so far with them offensively. Uh, but I like you. I do like Kyle Phillips a lot. I was really happy when I was able to draft him in startup drafts this year. I feel like he can be a PPR monster um, and just eat up receptions. But he's not going to give you the big, big playability. He's the type of guy that can beat you um, with his route running ability. Um, so if you're looking for a guy that may turn into a Hunter Renfro, I think Kyle Phillips is that type of player. Yeah. Moving on, next one. Uh, a three-and-one team loses two quarterbacks in a game last week and somehow still managed to get the win, and that's with Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. Jones left the game early with an ankle sprain, but he had to come back into the game after being ruled out uh, because Tyrod Taylor left because of a concussion. Um, according to reports, Daniel Jones looked really good today on the practice field. Um, and it looks like he's full bore moving ahead. Um, and as far as regular NFL football goes, Daniel Jones looked good. He, he's, he's managed the games. He's put them in positions to win and he hasn't hurt the team like he can, or like he has so much in the past fantasy wise, uh, whether it be the lack of weapons on the outside or, uh, whatever it may be. Just hasn't really been going aside from, you know, handing the ball off to Saquon. Yeah, you talk about, you know, Justin Fields in Chicago not having a lot of help with what they put in the skill players at the receiver room. But you can say the same thing about Daniel Jones, Wondale Robinson missing time, Kadarius Tony missing time. Kenny Galladay looks like he's never played football a day in his life. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, but it, they're in shambles. When you're relying on David Sills, David Sills and uh, Richie James, there's some problems. But I, I do – 
think that Daniel Jones, I think this is what we expect with Brian Dable. I think you felt like with what he was able to do with Josh Allen Buffalo and what he does offensively, putting the quarterback in better situations. I think we have seen some positive, you know, progression progression in Daniel Jones' game this year. He's had two games, you know, it was over 65% completion percentage. He was 17 to 21. Um, you know, the first game of the season. He's had uh was a hundred and 170, I don't have the math in front of me. I think it was like 170 yards rushing, 160 yards rushing um, over the last two games, and he's found the end zone twice. So there are some things that Daniel Jones is doing well. And if you can get him a full compliment, I think Daniel Bellinger as a, as a tight end is starting to come on now that he's healthy. I think we're starting to start to see him have an impact there too. So I'm excited for Daniel Jones, and I'm hoping that he can continue to progress. And I know you and I talked about this before we went live, but um, if you can save yourself – from having to draft a quarterback again or try to make something happen in the offseason. And you can feel like, hey, I think Daniel Jones gives us enough now that Saquon Barkley's fully healthy. I think we can build some pieces around him and doing some good things with the offensive line. Um, I, I, you can set yourself up at other positions to put yourself in a better situation two to three down, years down the road. Whereas if you have to reset and you missed on Daniel Jones or where you took him originally in the draft, it can set you back three to five years. So I hope it works out for Daniel Jones and his career in New York. You and me both. I mean, you saw what they did last year. They Granted, last year's class was not very strong at the quarterback position. I believe there was only one quarterback taken in the first round, and we're going to bring him up yep. in a minute. But uh, with that being said, that allowed them to address a need at the offensive line spot and then a need on the defensive line spot. And anytime you can build your team up from the line going out, you know, it makes you better for years to come. So hopefully they'll be able to continue to do that with first-round picks over the next few years. All right, moving on to our next topic, and that's quarterbacks on the move or quarterback moves that are about to be made or have been made. And the first rookie is going to get a start at the – get a real start this week, and maybe two rookies getting a start this week. We'll get into the second one in a minute. But the first one is uh, just this earlier this week, Kenny Pickett is uh, named the starter. Uh, his career started. Uh, he got in the game uh, late last week. Um, and one half of work, he did a couple things that no one's ever done before. First, he had two rushing touchdowns in his debut. And then secondly, he had the most uh, pass attempts with not with a ball not touching the ground ever in the NFL history. Of course, three of them came uh, that way because of interceptions. And unfortunately, the last one, Led, led to the uh, game-winning scoring drive for the Jets. But uh, what do you think Kenny Pickett is going to mean for those receivers? There's three receivers on their uh, roster that a lot of people are invested in, whether it be Deontay Johnson, whether it be Chase Claypool, or whether it be everyone's darling George Pickens. What do you think Kenny Pickett means for those guys? You know, I was I, I was an advocate of, of Mitchell Trubisky before the season started. I know where some people say, hey, let's let Kenny Pickett start the season off. But I was a big proponent of Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record in the NFL. Um, he just – he understands culture. The guys that play for him love playing for him. That I felt like this was a situation where if Mitchell Trubisky could get you, you know, competitive in these games and pull some games out that you could extend – you know, his shelf life, so to speak, this year, and take your time with Kenny Pickett, make sure, hey, when we put Kenny Pickett in, we know without a doubt 1,000% the guy's ready. And I think the argument in the offseason was Kenny Pickett was not my number one quarterback after watching film breakdown of the quarterback position. It was Desmond Ritter. I felt like had an opportunity, a good landing spot to be potentially be a guy. But if you look at what he did in the game, there were some moments where he looked well. Obviously, he took the two, two touchdown rushes that he had. But 
I have some concerns with, with him being thrown in this early, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, but behind that offensive line, at least at Mitchell Trubisky, you get, you know, a guy that can get out of the pocket. It's a little bit more mobile, not to pick it is a, you know, a statue by any means, but I do feel like Trubisky has got a little bit more top end speed um, can create some plays and what they were trying to do with him outside the pocket. I would like to see them be able to stick with him longer, but again, this is what, what happens. Now you're one in three. And at this point, you've seen what you've seen out of Trubisky. I don't want to go one and four. Now's the time to play him at this point, based on the record and where the team is at. I don't have a problem with it. I wish we could have waited a little bit longer. I do think this bodes well for, for George Pickens. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, Chase Claypool and his role in this offense. I thought moving him to be more of a big slot guy could help him kind of, you know, get that next step. I think Deontay Johnson's Deontay Johnson, although so far this year, we've seen some a very low A dot. We've seen some receptions. You're not seeing the red zone targets. He has yet to get in the end zone. But there's certainly some concerns there. But I do feel like George Pickens is the guy that probably Kenny Pickett's going to gravitate to. Both guys are rookies. Um, both guys got a lot of reps early on in preseason, you know, being with the number twos. So I think there's some chemistry that's probably already there. So I do look for George Pickens to, to, to step up. I'll tell you, they, they're not they're, – they didn't do him any favors when they decided to put him in as the no. starter. They're next – their next four games are they got Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami, and then Philadelphia. Then they have a week nine bye. When when I looked at the schedule, I kind of thought week ten was going to yeah. be the first time we were going to see him. I thought that made the most sense. That's how but we the reality of it is, is this does to me whatever happens these next three weeks, four weeks, I should say, doesn't change the fact that you need to get the guy in there and see if you got what you think you got because otherwise. You're just delaying the inevitable, and that's turning the keys over from Trubisky to Pickett. Go ahead and do it now, and, let, and let's see what you got. Moving on to uh, the New England Patriots, another rookie quarterback. Mac Jones doesn't look like he's ready to return from his ankle injury. Brian Hoyer is in concussion protocol, and so now you get to see rookie Bailey Zappi. He's in line to make the start, uh, playing the second half, uh, or most of the game, I should say, against uh, in the New England game. Um, your thoughts on Zappi, and not that there's a lot of people interested in fantasy-relevant players at the wide receiver spot or tight end spot right now for the New England Patriots, but nevertheless, what, do, what does this mean for them going forward as long as Zappi's in the game? You know, it's it's, it's funny because as you're saying this, we're going through it, all I can think of is Bill Belichick has a type, right? This is another guy that, that is going to want, want to make a pocket passer out of him, and, and that's what we're going to do. And Mac Jones fit that label. Tom Brady obviously fit that label. Um, Matt Castle fit that label. You can go on down the line of New England quarterbacks. But ba Bailey Zappi, to me, has got to figure out the touch on the football. Um, there was times in that game he had a guy on a crowd, an over route that was wide open, and he threw a three ball, which is kind of a lob put in the bread basket. But I felt like it needed to be a two ball, which means a little more zip on it, um, over coverage. But at the same time, let's give that receiver an opportunity to really get some yards after the catch. And, of course, a one ball, you're going to fire something in there and, and throw it on a rope. But those are things that, ba that Bailey Zappi is going to have to figure out. Um, I still think New England, what's crazy is when they spent all that money between Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry at the tight end position, it really felt like a lot of 12 personnel, Johnny Smith type of guy, tight end screens, get a little more yards after the catch. Hunter Henry is that red zone guy. Um, they, could, they can do some things for the receiving game, and they still have not figured out what that's going to look like long term. And this is the second year now with those two guys. And Hunter Henry was certainly the guy last year, but still trying to figure that out. But I hope Bailey Zappi does well. Uh, I don't think it's 
he's going to have to hold the fort down until Mac Jones is ready, and this is his chance to, to, to shine. But I think all the talk about Bailey Zappi, you know, potentially being the quarterback in the future, I think we got to pump the brakes. And this is Mac Jones' team. Yeah, absolutely. I think what interests me more so than anything is do we have a situation like a Jimmy Garoppolo situation where you see Jimmy G get in early on in his career with New England and he shows some signs of him possibly being a starter down the road, whether that be in New England or wherever it ended up being San Francisco. Um, does Bailey Zappi have the ability to play at the NFL level? And maybe over the next few weeks we'll get to see that. And if he does, that's just might be more – you know, ammunition for them to use draft capital or just, you know, do whatever they can with them. Because anytime you can turn somebody, you get in the fifth round into a second or third rounder, you got to feel pretty good about that outcome. Yeah, I know for sure. Moving on. And here's one that, uh, you know, they're two and two. And we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons. They're two and two. Um, Arthur Smith obviously wants to win football. He wants to win football so much that anytime anyone talks about the usage of Kyle Pitts, he goes back to, look, all I care about is trying to win football games. And I get it. But Marcus Mariota um, is 26th in passing yards, 28th in quarterback rating, and 30th in completion percentage. He no longer is providing any rushing attack like you thought you would get back in the day when he came out of Oregon. Um, and, and it got so bad after he threw an interception against Cleveland last week, they ran the ball in 13 consecutive plays just to keep the ball out of his hands. Uh, for me, it's forget the two games, two and two record, forget the two game winning streak. Let's put Desmond Ritter in and see what you have. Well, and you got the Cordell Patterson injury now in IR, so he's out for the next, I think, four games. And so now it becomes the Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier offense right where they ran it again 13 times consecutively but it was working um i, I think th so desmond ritter was the guy that i had graded above kenny pickett that i felt like in the right situation um if he gets an opportunity to sit for a while i did have him being the first rookie to see playing time this year significant playing time uh, at the quarterback position and we haven't seen it and i feel like if if you're willing to do it in new england or i mean not new england in pittsburgh why would you not be willing to do it in Atlanta, right? I get there two and two. This team isn't going anywhere. And you're going to put your – the worst place to be in the NFL is like fantasy football, right, if you need a quarterback. If you're middle of the road and you're picking in the middle of the draft and a quarterback class that's coming out that's, that's stacked at the top end, you're not getting any of those guys. So why not at this point say, hey, the Marriott experience is over. This is where I feel like we could use Desmond Ritter. You can pound the run game as much as you can. You have Drake Lund, you have Kyle Pitts. Going back to your comment about Arthur Smith, right, and I loved him when he was in Tennessee, and I thought this would be a good fit for him in Atlanta, is if you're saying that you're not focused on getting Kyle Pitts the ball, you're focused on winning football, those two things don't go together. You have an elite talent, a guy that's 68 grabs for 1,000 yards, second-best season for a rookie tight end. You drafted him at number four overall for a reason. If you don't think trying to scheme ways to get him the football is part of winning, then if I'm the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, I'm like, I got the wrong guy. I got the wrong guy. So you can say what you want about fantasy football and players don't care about it and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is if you're at the NFL level and you want to win football games, you get the ball in the hands of your best players. He does it with Cordell Patterson. He started doing it early in the season with Drake London. He's not had been doing it consistently with Kyle Pitts. That's that's a big problem, but why not put Desmond Ritter in at this point? 
you are who you are. Right. I mean, let's go. What is it that made Ritter your number one quarterback coming out? And so if I'm Arthur Smith, what is he getting in Desmond Ritter? I felt like with Desmond Ritter, you looked at what they did in Cincinnati. First of all, look at the season they had in Cincinnati last year. And I get who the receiving core was. But you can say that about Joe Burrow with the receivers they had at LSU, who was another guy that took him longer to develop, you know, after sitting behind guys in the, in the first three years of his college career. I feel like Desmond Ritter was that guy that was the opposite, where he got to play a lot early on. He got to be the guy, and he got to take Cincinnati from basically an unknown to a team that was playing in the college football playoff. And his leadership, if you talk to uh, what, what scouts wrote about him, the offseason NFL teams were saying about him, if you watch his, his tape, you saw a guy that, that had some things he had to work on. Was he ready to start week one? No. But is he a guy that you saw enough tools there that said if he got in the right system with the right quarterback coach and the right offensive coordinator, there are some intangibles there with the arm strength, his mobility, that you can put him in favorable situations from a scheme standpoint to build confidence. And once that guy gets going, I think other players in that locker room will feed off of his energy because that's something he does. He brings energy to the huddle. He brings energy to the sideline. Um, he's a player's he's a player's player. He's a guy in the huddle that you look at and you go, this guy's in command. And so I felt like those were things for me, for Desmond Ritter, that he could play at the NFL level in the right situation and, and could potentially be the best quarterback in that draft class. I, I want to see it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> because you get to the point where it's why wait? Let's see what we have. And it's not just the aspect of him and his development, but more so the team's development. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of good things going on offensively for them. Um, that's it for the quarterback changes. Let's move on to recap of week four. We had some uh, some big games. It was a, a week where one team found finally got their first win. Uh, Raiders beat the Broncos 32-23. Uh, for me, what I was really impressed about the Raiders win, if, if you're a Raiders fan, you saw that the first three games of the year all came down to the wire, and for whatever reason, something happened that uh, led to them losing the game. This week, the Broncos score a late touchdown with like eight minutes to go in the game. The Raiders get the ball, and they've got, you know, if you're a true Raider fan, you know pretty soon the ball's going to be turned over in some capacity, and here comes Denver having an opportunity to win it. That didn't happen. The Raiders were able to have like kind of a big boy TD drive to secure the win. They uh, looked really good running the ball. And I'll tell you what, if Josh Jacobs looks like that when given the opportunity, why isn't he getting the opportunity to do that more often? You know, all the guys have done since he got in the NFL is produce. The story about him living in a car and, and all that stuff, you know, before the NFL draft and where he is today. This is one of those games where you talk about guys that need volume. And he got 28 carries, 144 yards, average over five yards a carry, had two scores. And he was he was basically got 28 out of the 30 running back touches. The other two going to Zemir White. And he also had five receptions for 31 yards. He had 33 touches for 170 yards and two scores at 5.3 yards per touch. Now, is that going to happen every single week? No. But again, get your best players of football. That's Devontae Adams, right? Renfro, Renfro's been banged up. Waller didn't have a great game. They've struggled to get him involved, I think, at the level that, that I feel like they should. Maybe that's, you know, um, you know, who knows? I, I couldn't speak to why that is. Again, get your playmakers involved. But Josh Jacobs is a guy that I feel like should needs to get 20, 25 touches per game. He needs to be treated like an RB1. I haven't seen enough out of Zamir White to feel confident that he should be splitting even a 70-30 split. Like, this is how those games should go. If Josh Jacobs is healthy, 
and it's a game that's that that is not a blowout one way or the other, then Josh Jacobs needs to be that guy. If we're up 20 or down 20, you can give Jameer White all the carries you want. But but I'm gonna live and die by Josh Jacobs. They didn't sign him to his fifth year, his fifth year deal on his rookie contract, right? They want to wait and see. Run him into the ground and see what you get. And if he proves he's worthy, sign him to another contract. If you think Zamir White's your guy of the future, you don't want to pay your running backs and let him go on somewhere else in free agency or figure out if he's going to use the franchise tender on. But but let's let's use Josh Jacobs. It was a great win. And if you look at the Denver offense, and this is an offense that's been kind of ridiculed a little bit early on, wondering what Russell Wilson is either A, doing, or what he has left in his tank. What was your takeaway on their offense and, and what they were able to do? I know for me, I, I think you brought it up earlier, brought it up when we were talking prior to the show, but Corlin Sutton's he's a wide receiver one through and through. He, he looks to be – an alpha receiver. No, this this is why I was high on Cortland Sutton over Jerry Judy with Russell Wilson coming in and, and just based on skill set and their their uh, profiles. But Cortland Sutton's got 35, 35 targets to Judy's 23. He's got he's getting the targets in the red zone. He's on pace for 1,600 yards on the season. And that's with Russell Wilson not putting up great numbers. That's just being the alpha in this offense. And the thing about Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett was something had to give, right? Nathaniel Hackett likes to attack the middle of the field. Russell Wilson likes to attack outside the numbers vertically. Well, you have that guy in Cortland Sutton, whereas Jerry Judy, to me, he's not your Tyler Lockett. Jerry Judy is your guy that's short to intermediate, that can, that's got a lot of speed, that can make things happen after the catch. And not, you know, we don't need to make him a vertical guy unless he's running a slot fade, slot corner, over routes. That's where I want to see Jerry Judy get used. And I think that's where. They've got to figure that out. And if Denver can do that, and you may have to, because look, here's the reality. Your running game is not great. Your offensive line is not played at the level that we thought they would this year. Um, now you lose Javante Williams. They may have to let Russ cook by necessity. And so they've right. got to figure right. out schematically how they're going to utilize those weapons. Albert O is a non-factor. Greg Dulcich is a pass catching tight end. that has been hurt. He's out again this week. Hopefully he'll start getting some playing time, but, he could step up, but they're starting. I mean, they've got three different tight ends they're using right now. Andrew Beck, you know, being an H back tight end, they've used in the first first week of the season. We don't know what this offense is yet, and that's that's crazy after four weeks. Yeah, and you don't know what it's going to be now that they don't have Williams back there. So yeah, one uh, it was a good week for the AFC West after it's been struggling, and that was due to a lot with what Kansas City was able to do with Tampa Bay. Uh, Chiefs win forty one. 31, um, really impressive rushing attack, really impressive throws by Mahomes. We'll let you get into those throws. But uh, the rushing attack with uh, Clyde Hilaire, you know, 19 carries, 92 yards, had a touchdown rush, also had a touchdown reception. And then Isaiah Pacheco, you know, a lot of people like a fifth round, sixth round, seventh round draft pick, whichever he was, isn't really going to sure. He was everyone's darling in the preseason, much like Darwin Thompson was three years ago. Well, Pacheco looks to be – he's a hard runner. He, he looks really good when given the opportunity. So what were your thoughts on that game, Coach? Well, talking about Pacheco real quick, he reminds – this is going to be high praise, but he reminds me a little bit of Chris Johnson from Tennessee. If you remember him, a 2,000-yard rushing yeah. season. He doesn't have that big frame, but he runs with power for a, for a smaller guy. Um, I like what we've seen out of Pacheco. He had 17 snaps this week versus 18 for McKinnon. McKinnon was the guy that was the clear RB2. He's getting 30, 35% of the running back snaps. And this week it was more even between him and Pacheco. Pacheco also had three kick returns for 91 yards. So 
I like what we're seeing with Pacheco. I like the efficiency of CEH in this offense. The guy's a touchdown scoring machine. 19 carries for 92 yards, a score. And then the play, potentially the play of the year, with Patrick Mahomes escaping spin move, attacks the line of scrimmage, dodges a linebacker spin move, and then does a little, you know, pop pass, which you think you would see. I mean, just, yeah, absolutely awesome. So it, it's Kansas City, Andy Reid, Eric Bannamy, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. It's so much fun to watch, but it's the offense that I think I thought it was going to be coming this year was not as much verticality, more of that short game. Let these guys work. You're starting to see Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Sky Moore, and I, I don't know why I can't remember the receiver off the top of my head now, uh, McCole Hardman and MVS. There's not. Yeah, which we talked about going in the sweep, which is why I didn't like the Kansas City receivers, because you never know from week to week who's going to be the guy. This is another one of those weeks. It was a Travis Kelsey show. It was a CEH show. And everybody else, it was kind of spread out a little bit. So, but what a fun offense to watch. I mean, they're 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 attacking teams kind of, I think, the way that we thought they would. And, and, and Mahomes is Mahomes being Mahomes. Mahomes being Mahomes. What a lot of people are worried about is you talk about this rookie receiver class and being a little bit worried that Sky Moore has not flashed more. Uh, and that wasn't supposed to be a pun, but it, it worked. Um, if you look at his air yards, if you look at the plays that he is making, I'm pretty excited if I have Sky Moore. I, I, I think that he's got a lot of ability and I, and I can't wait for him to really fully be unlocked. Yeah, I'm still big on Sky Moore. I still, I still think Sky Moore's got a lot of talent. I think they're going to figure this out. I think because of the receivers they had, MVS being a veteran, of course, Travis Kelsey, what they do with him in the passing game, um, Juju Smith-Schuster being a veteran, I think it was one of those situations where like, hey, look, we have enough of a supporting cast. We don't have to make Sky Moore a feature in this offense. We can allow him to learn by example, watch the veterans, watch how they practice, watch how they break down film, and, and learn and be able to use him in different ways. And, and so I think when you get into weeks eight, nine, ten, I think you're going to start to see Sky Moore be a bigger part of that offense. At least I hope so. I, I certainly think the talent level is there for him to be a, a bigger part of this receiving core. Tom Brady, concerns if you have a roster with him on it right now because they didn't look very good offensively, and I'm not sure if that was Kansas City's defense or, or whatever issues they may have. You did see uh, Godwin back, Evans back. Um what are you doing with the Tampa Bay offense, and are you concerned about them? I'm not, and, I, and I'm not because um, of who they have, right? I'm not because they have Chris Godwin coming back. We know what he can do, 160 targets last year. Um, we know what Mike Evans can do. This has been an opportunity for Mike Evans to prove that he's an absolute alpha with Chris Godwin out, and he's done exactly that. That guy's an absolute monster, and if the guy hadn't missed a game, um, he's so pivotal what they do on that offense. But – I think there's enough talent there. Leonard Fournette looks just as good as he, he did last year. Um, there's not as much running room as he had last year, but he's making the most of his touches. Uh, I, I like what they're doing. They don't have the tight end position. I, I mean, you know, K-Dot hopefully can come on a little bit. I'm not super impressed with Cameron Brait, but we knew Cameron Brait was going to have a role. As long as he has a role, Brady's going to continue to try to look at him when he needs to. But I, I'm not concerned with Tom Brady because, A, it's Tom Brady. Um, B, it's the same offensive scheme he's, he's been accustomed to, and you're getting your, your star receivers back. I think Evans and Godwin are as good as it gets in terms of one-two combinations in the NFL. So I think offensively they'll they'll get right. They're, they're just they're the offensive line. I mean, they, they've just been battered up front, you know, right. to who they lost right. and guys they brought in. They've had some guys already missed games this year. So 
They just got to figure out that offensive line. And once they do that, they'll start clicking again. All right, moving on. Um, Buffalo finds a way to get a win. Baltimore once again in another tight game, but the Bills uh, get it out 23-20. That's a pretty good team up there in Buffalo, huh? Yeah, I think from a roster perspective, they're as well built as any any team in the league. And um, I think San Francisco's up there in terms of defensively and skill set players. They just got to figure out that quarterback position. But because they have the elite quarterback as well in Buffalo, I think it's as good of a roster as, you, as you'll find. You know, Josh Allen struggled a little bit in the passing game, 19 to 36, only throws for 213 with a pick, a touchdown, but 11 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown. That's what you're going to get from Josh Allen. He's got the ability to make things happen. He's a linebacker with the ball in his hands. You've yeah. seen him truck people. Yeah. You've seen him give a stiff arm and throw a DB to the ground. So I love the leadership of that team. I think we have to give a lot of props to Devin Singletary. There's two things I want to hit on in Buffalo. Devin Singletary has become the clear number one. We thought James Cook was a great landing spot. He's going to get passing game work. It's not. It's been Devin Singletary, um, who, again, had five targets. and He's got 21 targets on the season. He had four catches for 47 yards, 11 carries, 49 yards. So he's close to 100 yards total. And 11 out of the 14 touches in the running back room. Zach Moss had three, and, and James Cook didn't get anything. So um, he's – and I'm going to give Jacob Sanderson a shout-out. We were joking around about this before we jumped on, but he said Devin Singletary – Okay, I'm going to probably phrase this the wrong way. Devin Singletary is the Jacoby Myers of the running back room. Of running back. So yeah, that's yeah. such a great analogy. Touches from the 20 to 20. Doesn't seem to find the end zone a whole lot, but but he's relevant every single week. And that's, that's that defines Devin Singletary, I think, as good as you can. But the other point I want to make is Gabe Davis, right? Here's a guy we thought you're either pro, you're all in on Gabe Davis or you weren't. And what we've seen so far, week one, 88 yards receiving, gets the touchdown. Over the last three games, he's only got 14 targets. And three games he's played, I'm sorry. Now, the first game he was able to get that long touchdown. He missed week two. He has eight receptions for 138 yards and one touchdown total. That was his first first week, right? He's only averaging three targets a game. If he doesn't get the big play, he's not getting the red zone touches targets that we thought he would get. He's not converting the touchdown, the, the efficiency that he had last year. I think everybody realized hey, the touchdown regression is going to happen. It's probably going to come down unless the volume is a lot better than it was last year. He's not getting the volume and he's not getting the touchdowns. So what are you doing with Gabe Davis? That's a tough one. Unfortunately, I don't have to worry about that because when he got so – when we his value – so, say that again? We don't have any shares of him. I, I think I got no, one. No, no. We, I, the only share I had of him, I was – I traded him away for a 23 first rounder prior to the season. Um, and that Our seemed mood. like a, a no-brainer. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think it always goes back to this for me, and that is when you – draft capital matters. And I, it's not very often you get a guy like Antonio Brown who goes from a fifth-rounder to being an alpha. And that's kind of what a lot of people were expecting out of Gabe Davis is for him to all of a sudden be someone – that he may not be. He was a great complimentary person, always has been. And last year when he had his four touchdowns in the playoff game, he just popped. Can he sustain that? He hasn't been able to so far. Uh, Moving over to uh, – are you as surprised as I am that Seattle, a team that many people thought they weren't interested in Jimmy G so that they can tank to get their quarterback of the future? And here they are with Geno Smith. And they put up 48 points and a 48-45 win, and they're 2-2. Two and two. <laughs> What's going on at Seattle, Coach? 
Geno Smith's got it all figured out, man. I mean, and so, look, sometimes this is Kurt Warner. I mean, look at other guys that couldn't figure out a way to make it. And now you get Geno Smith last week, 23 at 30, 320 yards, two touchdowns, 49 yards rushing, gets in the end zone in the rushing game. In his last two games, he's 55 out of 74, the 74% completion rate, 645 yards, four touchdowns. And he's only been sacked six times all season. He's throwing out of a clean pocket. He leads the NFL in completion rate at 77.3% on 30, 132 attempts. That's 33 attempts a game. It's not like he's only throwing the ball 10 times a game. Right. They're, they're letting Geno cook. Like, I think that's what is so crazy about this offense. If you look at him historically over the course of his career, he was like a Teddy Bridgewater. Game manager, you know, don't turn the ball. Try not to turn the ball over. We're going to try to protect you with the run game. And, and shoot, now we're seeing DK Metcalf, or, uh, DK Metcalf be a little bit more involved. We're starting to see where Tyler Lockett can be that vertical threat. We're starting to see Geno Smith push the ball downfield vertically. It, it, you have to watch, and there's enough games now. When you get into one, two games, and you start talking about projections way too early, you get into four games that are completely over, you're basically 25% done with your season, and a guy's continuing to put up the numbers. I don't think it's sustainable, but I love what Geno Smith is doing. I love what they're doing from a scheme standpoint. I love the offense they're calling in Seattle. Um, I do have some concerns about Rashad Penny. I mean, he had a 17 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. He's finished last year with a crazy, I think, 6.3 yards a carry. He's averaging six yards again this year. But, again, it's home run or bust. He's 49 carries for 292 yards with two touchdowns, only five targets in the passing game. So it's going to be, if you're going to play Rashad Penny, and standard, he's great. If you're going to half PPR, PPR, the further further you go up, the less value he has. But if I'm a Rashad Penny owner right now, I'm selling high, especially, in, I mean, in Dynasty, I'm selling high all day long. He's not going to be worth more than he's worth right now. And that, and He's had, what, I think two good games out of the four. So you just put that up 50-50. Right. right. He's a home run hitter. I, I get it. But, again. I mean, you, you got to sell also because you got to sell because at some point Kenneth Walker is going to get Walker. He's gonna, and, and whether or not – here's the thing. Everything we're talking about, we're talking about from the fantasy perspective. From the football perspective and winning games, Rashad Penny is exactly what – Carol wants, and that's the same thing with Geno Smith. They're happy with what they're getting from those guys because that's the style of football they want to play. So we fantasy managers may not like it, but Seattle Seahawks fans enjoy a two-and-two record if they do because, again, many of my friends who are Seahawks fans were kind of hoping they were going to do the old tank for one quarterback. And look at that division. Right. The 49ers look great. Cardinals have not looked great. The Rams have not looked great. Seattle's right. The 49ers, the 49ers are, I mean, they have two losses. The whole division two, two and two. Right. So, uh, you know, Seattle, if they make the playoffs this year, Pete Carroll and John Schneider uh, will uh, be enjoying. He needs to drop the, the mic and off. Yes. Yeah, there you go. See you later, Russell Wilson. Uh, moving on to the other NFC West game, and this was the game Monday night. 49ers 24, Rams 9. We had a question last week, in fact, one of the questions we asked, we kind of missed on, and that's because we didn't think ah, Josh kickers. Jacobs, we didn't think Josh Jacobs would put up the kind of game he would uh, because yeah, he yeah. hadn't shown, they hadn't shown, you know, the the willingness to feed him like they did. But uh, one of the questions was, do we think Jimmy G 
will put up 15 points or more. Whether he did or not, Jimmy G was the Jimmy G that you would expect to see in this game. He certainly managed it. He had a great completion and then just allowed Debo Samuel to be Debo Samuel. And, and you know, the 49ers looked like a Jimmy G-led 49er win game. No, they did. He was 16 to 27 for 240 and a touchdown. Uh, Jeff Wilson, 18 carries, 74 yards. You hit that one on the head. You and I didn't agree on that one, but you looks like you're winning there. I didn't think Jeff Wilson would be sustainable, but he's certainly proven to be the RB1 right now as long as Elijah Mitchell is out. Uh, and like you said, Debo being Debo, that, that catch and run that he had, six for 115 and a touchdown. You take away that one, it's like five for 40. But the point is, that's why you give Debo the ball. Again, this is an offense and understands, get the ball in the hands of my favorite players. My only complaint is, can we get George Kittle some touches? What's going on with that, Coach? Because, I mean, this goes back to the Kyle Pitts thing. And here's the thing is that my concern with it being a schematic thing is that it's the same system. It's the same quarterback. So then you got a question, is there something wrong that we don't know about with George Kittle? Yeah, I'd have to look up the numbers. I don't have them in front of me right now, and I won't I won't waste time on when we're live to look them up. But I do know that his inline, which is not any different than last year. He's in line as much as he was last year. There's not a lot of change there. But the difference is his route participation, and, I, and this is why I need to look it up because I might misquote this a little bit, but it just seems like George Kittle is not the first read in, in most of their, their uh, progressions. He's the second read or the third read. Um, and, and that's disappointing. And, of course, he's being used a ton, as always. He's one of the best blocking tight ends in the game, which is why you almost wish he wasn't so goddamn good at it because he would be playing the slot now wide a little bit more to take advantage of mismatches in the passing game. But George Kittle absolutely loves to block. He'll tell you that. He takes more pride in pancaking somebody or someone busting a long run off of one of his blocks that, you know, Tannehan's like, well, if you love it so much, we're just going to continue to do it, and you're not going to complain about it, so we're okay. You know, it's crazy. But if you talk about the other side of the ball with the Rams, I mean, Matthew Stafford looks absolutely – he does not look good. Completion percentage is 32 of 48. But if you look at his average, you know, uh, completion, and he only threw for 254 yards and he had the pick, uh, they they have not looked good. The run game has not looked good. Uh, Cam Akers had more carries than Daryl Henderson, but only 1.6 yards per carry versus four for Daryl Henderson. It just hasn't been there for Cam Akers. And you can tell they're almost trying to force that situation because of his home run capability. And they're kind of forcing touches and, it, and it's just not there, you know. And then Cooper Cup, if you watch the game, and I don't even look at the all 22 film, but if you watch the game, Matt Stafford is staring down Cooper Cup. And I get it 14 catches, 122 yards, only 8.7 yards per reception. I mean, he didn't find the end zone. Tyler Higby, 10 for 73, is all of a sudden a top top eight tight end. But they're not even trying to look at Allen Robinson, and I get it. He struggles to create any separation whatsoever. Seems like when they try to try to uh, target him deep, he can't. He's not even going up and attacking the 50-50 ball. Seems like the DBs always got leverage on him. Um, they're having to force the ball to Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby, and it's just not. It's not working. It's, it's not working out for them. They got to find a way to challenge teams more vertically. And it's just, it's just not happening. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, because right now it looks like he only trusts Cooper for whatever yeah. reason. Oh, and the tight end, the guy that he's got a lot of experience with. 
Yeah, but it doesn't look pretty. And the problem with what the Rams have done, and first and foremost, any fan base would be happy with what the Rams have done. They got their Super Bowl championship last year and a game that got to be played in their stadium. So whatever they have done to get that, you got to be happy. However, making the moves that they made, they don't have any first-round picks, I mean, for years, I don't think. Uh, they've used all that capital to get the guys over there. And like I said, it worked out with a Super Bowl win. But if this is the start of a long season for them, it's going to be tough for them to replenish when you have the salary cap issues they have and when you lack the draft capital that they lack. Yeah, you know, there was I listened to the, the Athletic a lot. Big shout out to those guys. I'm on a favorite podcast. And they were talking about the calculus in the draft rooms and the Rams. And the Rams seem to be a little bit more open in terms of talking about draft strategy and, and why they've given up these picks. And they're doing things a little bit different where it's over, they're always taught, like pick up draft capital, get picks, get young players, uh, build your roster inside out from, from homegrown talent, and then use free agents to plug and play. With the Rams, they went all in. They went out and got Matthew Stafford. They gave up picks. They went out and they got Allen Robinson. They went out and went out and they got uh, OBJ. They've done what they've done on the defensive side of the ball with, with where they got in there. That's right. Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, and you can go on and on and on. And the reality is the calculus for them is they calculated they've had more success with third, fourth, and fifth round draft picks than the cost it would be with what you get with those lower contracts without guaranteed four years. Versus if you miss in the first and second round. And so they've done the calculus, they've done the math, and they feel like for us, this is a strategy we want to go with. But to your point, they brought it up. What do you do two years from now? What are you doing to build talent around it? You had the left tackle retire, right? Aaron Donald talked about retiring. The only thing that brought him back was a chance to repeat. He might be gone. Jalen Ramsey's getting a little bit long on the tooth, although I still think he's one of the top five corners in the league, but that's going to eventually phase out. You've got you've got some situations there that hey in two to three years you know what is this Rams what is this Rams team going to look like we'll see if it works out for them or not but well I think it already has yeah I mean you get a Super Bowl out of it it's already worked I I agree if you you got to rebuild and start all over so be it because heck I I being a Southern California guy you being a sometimes Southern California guy it's been a while since the Rams or anybody have done I think the last Super Bowl won by an L.A. area team, and they're no longer L.A. area, but would have been the Los Angeles Raiders in the early 80s. But let's move on to Thursday night. Kurt Warner? You forget about Kurt Warner. Well, I was right. Yeah, yeah, no, I St. Louis. I got you. Yeah, I, wrote, I realized Louis. that when I said that. We, yeah. That's why I'm not really – everyone asks, who's your team? Well, you know, in the prime of my fandom of NFL football was college years, and we lost <laughs> both the Rams and the Raiders in the same year. And then it just so happened right after that, I started fantasy football and I've always been more of a fantasy guy now than I I love the NFL, but I am not invested in a team like you are with the Cowboys. And a lot of that is because of the fact that the teams that I were invested in took off and left us in one season. Um, Moving on to tomorrow night's game, Thursday night football. You got the two and two Broncos hosting the one, two and one Colts. Denver's a minus three Favorite and uh, with an over under a 42.5. Starting sits for this one, coach. Well, I've got Russell Wilson. I think he's a guy you're going to play. Uh, he finished last week with 237 yards and a couple touchdowns, while also contributing 29 yards and a score on the ground. Without Javante Williams in that run game, again, we talked about this. They've not been good, whether it's Melgo, 
whether it's Mike Boone, whether it's Javante Williams, the run game is not look good. The old line does not look great. I think you're going to be forced into a situation if you're going to compete in the AFC West. Um, you're going to have to throw the football a little bit. And they've got Corlin Sutton. They've got Jerry Judy. They are now, by a mile, in my opinion, their best offensive weapons now with Javante Williams out. It's time to let those guys, you know, get, get, get involved. So Russell Wilson, I think, is a must start. I think Cortland Sutton is a must start. We talked about his numbers earlier. I won't go through that again. Um, and then Naheem Hines for the Colts. With Jonathan Taylor being out, Naheem Hines becomes that guy. Now, I will say, don't be surprised if Phillip Lindsay, Deion Jackson are going to get some of those carries in early down work or short yards goal line situations between the tackle running is not something Naheem Hines does well. Doesn't mean they won't try to force the issue a little bit. But I think you're going to see him heavily involved in the passing game um, with Michael Pittman and their Mo Ali Cox and Kylan Grantson, whatever tight ends you want to throw out. They have an Indy. Seems like they've always got a full stable of tight ends. But those are the three guys to me, Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, Naheem Hines, that are, are must-starts. Now, you could say Michael Pittman, but I want people to understand, again, is it is what is your roster? Is it dynasty where you've got a lot of young talent? You've got a lot of really good wide receivers. Michael Pittman is not a guy you have to play this week. Patrick Sertan, PS2, is shutting people down. He's going to cover Michael Pittman as much as he possibly can. There's nobody else on that team from a receiver perspective that the Broncos should be worried about. So you might as well use PS2 against Michael Pittman as often as you can. So I just say tread lightly because if he doesn't get the touchdown, I don't expect him to see a lot of volume in this game if PS2 is on him. So I, I, I don't play Michael Pittman unless I absolutely have to. So he's not a must-start for me. Uh, well, a sneaky start for me, if we're going to have Sertain on Pittman, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of Alec Pierce. You know, Alec Pierce the last two yeah. weeks has looked well. He he's, for sure. He's not gotten in the end zone yet. I think that's a, that's going to happen. Um, from the bit of film that I've watched over here in the last few uh, few weeks, he looks a lot of like a little bit like Adam Thielen. And, and I'm not just stereotyping it because he's a white receiver. But he literally goes out there and he tacks the ball at the point. I've been very impressed with what I've seen with Alec Pierce so far. I do like I like, I like Alec Pierce coming out. I had him rated higher than I think most people did, and so I think I'm a little surprised how slow it's taken him to get going. And he, I, I dealt, he dealt with injury early on. He, he I think did. He missed it. He, he did. did. So yeah, he uh, did. But even even because you now I will say this: when you OTAs, you did hear his name quite a bit and how much they liked him as work ethic, what he was doing in the film room. So I love that pick for you, especially in a deeper league. Um, as far as sits go, this is a terrible matchup for Melvin Gordon. It, it, he's averaging 3.8 yards per carry. The Colts only give up 3.1 yards per carry, which is second in the NFL. Um, he's also lost four fumbles on the 45 touches we talked about. With the, sign of, with the signing of Latavius Murray, which won't have a big impact this week, but moving forward it could, ball security. And then, of course, Mike Boone, who also hasn't fumbled. I'm not big on Mike Boone. Um, again, could be a late, could be a guy that could get some some touches this week. So again, in deeper leagues, if you have to, if you have running backs or out due to injury, I get playing Mike Boone this week. But to me, he's on a must start. And then Alberto, ten targets on the year. He only got six catches for 45 yards. Greg Dulcich is coming back, not this week, hopefully next week. Um, and then Matt Ryan, um, Denver gives up 170 yards passing per game. And again. You got Patrick Sertan. You got a secondary there. You've got the pass rush there with Bradley Chubb and and that that those guys. So I, I don't love Matt Ryan this week. Um, he only had seven in three out of four games this year. He's had seven or less in terms of yards per attempt, which seven is not a bad number. It's an average number, but 
when you get into 6, 6.0, 6.0, 6.3, that's not great. And he's coming off a week against Tennessee where he did throw for 356 yards and two touchdowns, but this is a different defense. You know, yeah. so I, 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 I tell I, you, they're not, they're not, they're, Jim Murray's not happy with what's going on in Coltville right now. I think he expected no. a heck of a lot more out of Matt Ryan. And in fact, if you saw what a lot of the reports are, uh, you know, he's basically saying, hey, Frank Wright, hey, Matt Ryan, hey, GM, all you guys, and you are on the hot seat. Let's go. Let's turn this around. Um, so let's get right was, I was going to say, let's just realize this too with, with Matt Ryan is, is what this team can do. If they can rush four, which Denver can with that D-line, if you can rush four and drop seven in coverage, I don't think the run game scares Denver at all. Uh, we just talked about that. Our only average is giving up 3.1 yards per carry anyway. So I don't think Denver's worried about what the Colts do on the ground. I think it's going to be like, hey, we're we're going to force Matt Ryan to have to throw the football into coverage. And I think Denver, I think Denver comes away with this. I know it's only a three-point spread, so I've got Denver winning 27 to 20. We're not very far off. I have the Broncos winning 24-20. So hey, but it's football. Can't wait to see it. And uh, you know, let, let's get hard into week five starting tomorrow night. You got it, man. Hey, before we move on, you know, I I had a tweet, and I, I don't tweet much, but, uh, you know, I'm in a home league, same home league since 1994, and I tweeted last night that, you know, the lack of activity at times, it gets frustrated, and the lack of activity, uh, especially in home leagues. I know you and I are in, like, 35 to 40 leagues, and, you know, my expectations in those leagues does not approach what I expect or what I hope for, or what I'm used to in my home league. And I bring that up because I compared it to almost, we should just turn it into a best ball league because yeah. uh, there's not a lot of chatter. There's not a lot of people going out and I'm 0 and 4. And so maybe my frustrations are related to that. I'm a, I'm in a rebuild year and I've lost, uh, you know, my key component of the rebuild and that would be Trey Lance. And so my uh, hopes of doing much this year are, are non-existent, but I do like activity and I do kind of long for seeing things happen. It just makes the league and, and fantasy football more fun when people are actively involved. Yeah, and, and, and it, man, it's such a great point. I, I know for me, uh, and I say this every year, but I, I'm, I've am i never said it. I say it every off season is what I should say. This is the first time in season, we're only four weeks in, I'm tired of waking up Sunday morning and going through all my lineups, figuring out who's active, who's not. So I've already decided for next year, I'm going to focus more on DFS and best ball. And I'm going to really hunker down and do a lot more content creation. I'm going to do a lot more things, helping people win their fantasy leagues. I get a lot more pride out of start and sit questions. I got a lot more pride out of the DMs that I get to help people win their leagues and people from work and home leagues and right. um, friends right. of mine that the guys I used to coach with that reach out every single Sunday or during the week and ask me about trades and, I'm going to focus on that. I love that more than I love. I enjoy playing in dynasty leagues now. I just, I get tired of setting lineups every week, but that's, I'm going to limit that down to about eight to 10 teams next, next year. And I'm going to focus on, you know, creating a lot more content, help people win their league. That'll be well, Coach, if, if you need help putting rosters together, or I should say putting lineups together Sunday morning, tune in at nine o'clock Pacific time. Ah, there it is. To the coach approach starts it inactive show every Sunday morning, 9 a.m., one hour before kickoff, and we get into all those things. If you just listen, Coach, you'd be fine. We get into every single game, right? We get into the entire Sunday slate. We cover Thursday night on the show tonight. We get all 
14 games that happen on Sunday. And if we have a chance, we'll get the Monday night's game as well. But we tell you based on matchups, based on the offense and defense and what they like to do from a scheme standpoint, who we like and who you should start. And I, I like to think that we hit on a lot more than we miss on. We certainly miss on some every week as everybody does, but we hit on a lot of stuff. And so I, I think that, you know, people, more people start tuning in and asking questions. We'll, we'll start helping people win more leagues. Awesome coach. Can't wait to do it. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you all Sunday morning. Have a great night. All right, man. We'll see you. Wow. Wow. Wow.